Well, as I mentioned to you, uh, I'm a pastor at uh, UVM. I'm also uh, a pastor at at Redeemer Burlington. Uh, And we've been looking at the book of Ephesians together uh, as a church this winter and and this spring. And today I wanted to share with you uh, God's word from the fourth chapter. Uh, And as we get ready to do so, uh, I'm curious uh, and I want to know. If you've ever asked the question, why am I here? Why do I exist? Have you ever wondered that? Or have you ever wondered, why am I here? And not simply, why did I come to church today, but why church? You know, why does it exist? What's the point of it anyway? Well, if you've ever asked uh, those questions, uh, be encouraged. Because I think Paul has some answers for you. And those answers are found primarily in verses 13 and 15 of today's passage. And the answers to those questions and the point of today's sermon could be stated like this. Okay, God's plan for you individually, okay, as well as a church corporately, is that you would become more and more like Jesus Christ. Okay, let me say that again. The main point of today's sermon and the main point of today's passage is that God's plan for you as an individual, as well as for you as a church, is that you would become more and more like Jesus Christ. Know if you are a Christian, God is actively working in your life in such a way that you are becoming more and more like Jesus. God is molding your character, He's changing your desires. He's putting you in certain situations, sometimes even really difficult ones, in order that you might resemble Christ more and more, and in your thoughts, and your words, and in your deeds. Okay, there are several passages in the scriptures that make this point. And when you go home, you can look some of them up. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one of them. Romans 8.29 is another. But Paul is making this very point all throughout the book of Ephesians. He starts this book uh, with this in his first chapter. Paul writes that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in order that we should be holy and blameless before him. In chapter 2, Paul says that we have been saved by grace. We are no longer enemies of God, but rather we are members of God's family. We're adopted sons and daughters of the one who made that enormous universe, right? In chapter 4, towards the end of the letter, uh, and going straight through to the very end, uh, Paul's going to say that we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do, to put off the old self and to put on Christ, and to be imitators of God as his beloved children. You know, kids copy their parents, and God wants us to copy him, to do what he does, to be like him, You know, to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. In sum, God wants us to be Christians. Okay, the word Christian means little Christs. Little Christs is who we are to be and it's who we are to become. Okay, the reason that you exist, you personally as well as you as a church, New Haven United uh, Reformed Church, is to know and to show Jesus 
You exist to know Christ and to love Christ and to show Christ to the rest of Addison County and to, frankly, the rest of the world. But here's the thing uh, you need to know, and please hear me when I say this. You and I do not become Christ-like overnight. Okay, becoming more and more like Jesus, it's a process. Okay, it's a lifelong process. If you are a Christian, okay, you are a sinner who has been saved by grace. First of all, you've been saved from the penalty of your sins. Okay, your sins deserve the death penalty, but Jesus died on the cross for you uh, in your place. Not only did Jesus die for you, he lived for you too. And it's because of Jesus' perfect life and death that everyone who is in Christ is, legally speaking, righteous. God declares you righteous, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Okay, therefore, there is no more condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christian speak, this is the, this is the doctrine of justification. But God did not just save you from the penalty of your sins. God is also at work in your life now, saving you from the power of sin. Okay, God saved you from the penalty of sin, but he's at work in your life now, saving you from the power of your sin. Christians, God declared you righteous the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But God is also at work in your life now, making you to become righteous too. God is transforming you into the image of his son. He is making you become more and more like Jesus. In Christian speak, this is the doctrine of sanctification. Now sanctification, you know, becoming more and more like Jesus is a process. Okay, it doesn't happen overnight. Let me say that again. It's a process. I want to stress this point. Because we live in a society that values ease and efficiency and instant gratification. We want things to go smoothly. We want the fastest route from point A to point B. But don't you know that God doesn't work that way? Have you, don't, don't you know that experientially? God doesn't always take the fastest route. You know, he doesn't always do things uh, in the quickest amount of time. And so sanctification doesn't work that way. Our becoming more and more like Jesus, it's a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. There's another thing that you ought to know. Is that when God sanctifies us, he helps us and he equips us in the fight against sin. But that fight doesn't go away. You know, you've been saved from sin's penalty, and you are being saved from sin's power. And when you meet Jesus face to face, you will be saved from sin's presence. But until that day comes, sin is something that you and I are going to have to contend with. Okay, that means that your Christian life is not going to feel like a cakewalk. It's not always rainbows and roses. It's more akin to a battle. Okay, it's a fight. It's a struggle. You are indeed a new creation, but you are living east of Eden. Okay, and as such, 
there's a fight that's going on between the new self and the old self. Between the spirit and the flesh. Between God and the devil. Between good and evil. And you are engaged in that war. Okay, you are engaged in a fight, but you are not alone. God is with you, and if you take a look to your left and right, God has given you these people to help you in that fight too. God has saved you from sin's penalty the minute you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And by the power of His Spirit and with the aid of this church, God is empowering you uh, to, to uh, become more and more like Jesus. He is saving you from the power of sin. You know, I became a Christian in 2007, uh, and I was baptized in uh, 2008. And when I became a Christian, I was immediately saved uh, from sin's penalty. But I am in the process of being saved from sin's power, and I am not yet free of sin's presence. You know, I still face temptation. I still wrestle with sin. And my, sin, my fight with sin is going to last as long as I live or until Jesus comes back, whatever happens first. Now, I know in the war against sin, I'm victorious ultimately because of what Jesus accomplished on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. But there are still battles yet to be fought. You know, you can think of it this way. When the Allied forces took the beaches at Normandy, you know, when they were victorious on on D-Day, the war was essentially over. You know, it was just a matter of time before the Nazis finally surrendered. But in between D-Day and V-E Day, there were still battles to be fought. And in the same way, the war against Satan has been decisively won. Jesus scored that decisive victory on Good Friday, on, on Easter Sunday. But in this war... Okay, there are still battles yet to be fought. And you and I are engaged in that fight. Every day is a struggle sometimes. Right? Every, let's be honest. Some days it feels like there are good days where we feel like we're on, on top of that mountain. And sometimes it feels like we're fighting up it. The man who stands before you today, uh, he's not a perfect man. Okay, but he does have a perfect Savior. And friends, I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. I've been saved from sin's penalty, and God is saving me from sin's power. But this takes time. I know that God has begun a good work in me, and I know that if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, He's begun a good work in you too. Okay, this is the promise of today's passage. God's plan for you individually Okay, as well as a church corporately, is that you become more and more like him. You know, I love this illustration uh, from C.S. Lewis. He says this, he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. And you knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house and about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make much sense. You know, what on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here and he's putting on an extra floor there and he's running up towers and he's making courtyards. 
You see, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace, and he intends to live in it himself. Hey, this is the main point of Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. God's plan for you as a person, as well as for you as a church, okay, as a New Haven URC, is that you would become more and more like Jesus. You were to grow up in every way into Christ. God wants you to be Christians. He wants you to be little Christ, sharing and reflecting the love and holiness and goodness and grace of God to everyone that you meet, with your classmates and your colleagues, with your friends and your family, uh, with your neighbors, as well as strangers that you encounter on the streets. You are to be little Christ to the city of New Haven and Virgins and Middlebury and Bristol to Addison County. Okay, you are to be little Christ to the rest of the world. If this is true, friends, and I firmly believe that it is, okay, how are we supposed to grow? How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to be this? You know, how do we grow individually and how do we grow together, okay, as a community, okay, as a church? What are the essential building blocks, as it were? You know, what do you need to become more and more like Jesus? Well, Paul answers these questions for us, too. First and foremost, what you need is the Holy Spirit. And this is really the point that is made in Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 6. Okay, you need the Holy Spirit. You know, you cannot be a Christian without Him. Jesus said to Himself, in John chapter 3, in a conversation Jesus is having with a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said to him, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, Nicodemus, and don't marvel, New Haven that I say to you, you must be born again. You know, the reason this is so is that we are born dead in our sins and trespasses, and we need the Holy Spirit to bring us back to life, okay, to make us human once again, to make us creatures that do love God again and do love our neighbors again. We don't naturally do this anymore. And we need God's Spirit to awaken us uh, to do that. You need the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the gift of faith. You need Him to transform you into the image of God's Son to make you to become more and more like Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is in the business of creating Christians, He's also in the business of creating the church. Right? He is the one who brings it into existence, and he's the one who gives it its unity. Okay? Again, this is the main thrust of verses 1 through 6. But you don't just need the Holy Spirit okay, if you're going to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, you also need one another. Okay? You need the church. If you look at verses uh, 7 and 8 with me, close my Bible up. Open that up again. Ephesians uh, seven, uh, 4, verses 7 and 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, starting at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But here, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. Now, admittedly, this is a kind of a confusing passage. This, this is a kind of confusing verses here. But the point is this, that Jesus has given us gifts. And if you're familiar with the writings of Paul, when you hear gifts, you, you might think, oh, spiritual gifts like teaching and, uh, and, and preaching and uh, the gift of tongues and the gift of, of prophecy and, and, and wisdom and, and healing and so on and so forth. But that's not where Paul, that's not where Paul goes with this. That's not what Paul says. Uh, the gifts that he mentions are not spiritual powers, they're people. Look at verse 11 with me. Jesus has given us gifts, and what has he given? He gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets. He gave some to be evangelists, and he gave pastors and and teachers. Jesus wants us to become more more and more like him, and he's given us gifts toward that end. And the gifts that are mentioned here are apostles and prophets. They're evangelists. They're shepherds and teachers. What's the point? The point is is that we need the church. The apostles and prophets are the foundation upon which the church is built. The apostles representing the New Testament and the prophets the Old. The evangelists, these are people who are heralds, they're messengers of the good news. Uh, If you are a Christian, it's because someone has told you about Jesus. It's because someone has shared the good news uh, about him with you. You're a Christian because you were evangelized. And God has also given you shepherds and teachers. These are pastors and teachers, your church leadership. And the reason why Jesus has given you and he's given me these things is found in verse 12. Look look there with me. He's given us the church. He's given us these, these people in order to prepare God's people, in order to equip us, for works of service, in order that the body of Christ may be built up. The word there, God's people, is saints. Okay? And saints are not super Christians, all right? They're ordinary Christians. All right? It's you. And God has given you the church, He's given you pastors and, and shepherds and, and, and all of these teachers in order that you might be able to do the work of ministry in this time and in this place. You know, I'm ordained, but that doesn't make me the only minister in the room. Okay, every Christian is to be a minister and mediator of the gospel. My job is to minister to you as you minister to other people. My job is to serve you as you go out from this place and serve others. You know, my job is to encourage and exhort you to use your God-given talents and abilities to help and bless people in the places where you have been placed and in the callings in which you have been called. You know, you have gifts that I do not have. You can do things that I cannot do. You have access to places where I cannot go. 
You have unique ministry opportunities. And these opportunities exist in your home. They exist in your neighborhood. They exist in your workplace. Kids in your classroom. College students on your campus. They exist on your farm. You know, they, the list goes on and on and on. You have the opportunity to bring the love and the goodness and the grace of God to people in these very particular places. And your pastors, whoever that may be, okay, exist to equip you to do the work of ministry in these places. Okay, the church exists to serve you, to equip you uh, to do uh, the work of ministry. Well, how is this connected to the main point of the passage? You know, we said that God wants you to grow up in every way into Christ, okay? His purpose for you, the reason why you exist, okay, as a person, the reason why you exist as a church is to become more and more like Jesus. You know, maybe, you know, you thought that becomes, maybe you thought becoming more and more like Jesus means having longer devotionals in the morning and, you know, praying more and cursing less and just basically becoming a kinder and more compassionate person. And don't mistake me, those things are certainly true. But Christ-likeness means more than that. Christ-likeness means loving hard-to-love people and hard-to-love places. Christ-likeness means washing feet. And it means serving others. It means bringing light to darkness. It means bringing beauty where there was ugliness. It means bringing truth where there was falsehood. And hope where there was none. And I'm curious if you know any places like that. Because if you do, God wants you to go there. And he wants you to minister. He wants you to be like Jesus there. You know, Christ-likeness means healing the hurting. And it means clothing the naked. And it means feeding the hungry. And pursuing peace. And upholding justice. You know, it means blessing those who curse you. And it means loving those who hate you. And it means pointing people towards God. And I want to know, and I'm curious if you know anybody like that. Uh, Because if you do, God wants you to go to them. And he wants you to be like Jesus to them. God wants us, uh, friends, uh, to be and to do like him. And towards that end, we need his Holy Spirit. uh, And we need the church. Uh, We need one another. And as we encourage one another... And as your pastors equip you to do uh, the work of ministry, together we build up the body of Christ here, right, in New Haven. And we show a watching world what Jesus is like and what the heart of God is like. If you have tasted and seen that God is good, God wants you to live in such a way that others would taste and see that he is good too. Well, there is one more thing that we need uh, if we are to grow up in every way into Christ. 
Okay, we need to speak uh, the truth in love. Uh, look at verse 15 with me. It says, it says there, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Okay, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part uh, does its work. Well, why is speaking the truth in love, you know, one of these essential building blocks, something that's necessary for us to become more and more like Jesus? Well, if you read in verse 14, Paul says there, uh, well, we need the truth because then we will no longer be infants, okay, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful, uh, deceitful scheming. In other words, knowing the truth helps you and prevents you from uh, being led astray, uh, from coming captive to some empty philosophy. Uh, but knowing the truth uh, is, is more than just that, too. Uh, knowing the truth also gives you real strength and power to live life uh, east of Eden. You know, let's face it. Life is hard sometimes. It's hard a lot of times. There's a lot of pain and suffering in the world out there. And there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world inside here. Inside the human heart. How are we to move out into that world? And to take on more pain, and suffering when there are a lot of good reasons not to. You know, if we said that being Christ-like means loving hard to love people and hard to love situations, how are we to do that when there's lots of good reasons not to? Well, you need to know the truth. You need to know, first of all, that there is a God. And you need to know that He loves you. You need to know that He cares about you. You need to know that He left heaven on a rescue mission and that He entered into this world in order to lift you up, in order that you might be reconciled to Him. You need to know, friends, that you are not an accident. You need to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to know that matter matters to God, and you need to know that people matter to God. You need to know that you matter to God, and that your choices matter to God. Friends, you need to know the truth. You don't just need the truth, okay? You also need love. Listen to what Paul says in another one of his letters. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. If we were to become more like Christ, we need truth 
and we need love, but not in isolation. We need both. Okay, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to be truthing in love. John Stott, he was a, a great pastor in England. He's now deceased. But he said, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. See, we need the two together. We need, to, we need to be speaking truth to one another. Okay, You need to be speaking truth to one another. You need to be encouraging one another with the truths of the gospel. You constantly, constantly be pointing one another towards Jesus, who is truth and who is love incarnate. You can do this in a loving way. And it's really easy to use the truth like a hammer and crush people with it. Uh, It's easy to use the truth uh, in such a way that you shame people. It's not what we are to do. We are to speak the truth in love. To speak in truth in such a way that points people towards Jesus and drives them further and further into His loving arms. And that builds, builds one another up. Jesus loves you very, very much. And you all need to speak the truth in such a way that People understand that. If we are to become more and more like Jesus, we need to know the truth, and we need to know the truth that we are loved. And absolutely, we need to speak the truth and love too. In sum, and in conclusion, God wants you as an individual, and He wants you, a church, okay, New Haven, URC, to grow up in every way into Christ to become mature, to become more and more like Jesus. God has saved you from the penalty of your sins. He did so the minute you put your faith and trust in Him. And He is at work in your life now, saving you from the power of your sins. He is making you become more and more like Jesus. And toward that end, He has given you the Holy Spirit, and He has given you the church. He has given you the gift of one another. And He's also given you Jesus. He's given you truth and love incarnate in order that you might know the truth, in order that you might love the truth, in order that you might speak the truth and love to one another. Friends, let's thank Him for these gifts now as we come to Him and pray.